Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. You can follow us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod. And please go give us a like on Facebook. And if you would, please now go over and be sure to subscribe to the Thundercast YouTube channel as now our podcast can be found in video format if that's the way you choose to consume our content. Um, It was a busy, busy week. Uh, We've got a lot to cover because it's been a... You know, this football midweek game kind of threw off our schedule a little bit to where we're covering a little bit on the front end and now we're covering a little bit extra on the back end. So we've got a lot around the herd. But before we get into these five things and and this midweek recap, let's get a word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. Matt and Jason are experienced injury lawyers in Huntington who have helped many people just like you with claims throughout West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. Car wrecks, truck wrecks, and injury claims aren't just something they do, it's what they do. Find them at 304carwreck.com. Russ, it was a, like I said, a busy week. There's a lot to talk about. There was a lot going on. There were some cool events downtown. It was a busy, busy Saturday this weekend, what with me missing out on Chili Fest, among the other things that went on around town. So let's get get into all of that. But first, let's start it off like we always do. Give me five things that every Herd fan needs to know this week. As usual, these are always brought to you by IgniteLink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one, kind of a shocker. News came out Thursday night, real late. Jeff Wagoner is out as the baseball coach at Marshall. That was a real shocker. I mean, real shocker. It was like 16 years at the helm or something like that. I mean, he'd been there for a long time. And here we are, here we've been for the last several months talking about all the uh, uh, momentum surrounding the baseball program, what with the – push for the baseball stadium to not only get started to be built, but that big quick turnaround timeline to get it completed so that games can be started in, uh, you know, relative short order. So this just, I mean, I hate to use a terrible pun, but for me as a fan, this came out of left field, right? I didn't see that coming. So there hasn't been any speculation, at least that I've saw on why it's just, he the, the, I believe the quote was, or the, the reports were that he was relieved of his duties. So, uh, something to keep an eye on, I guess. Uh, who knows where they go to to replace Wags, but that was a shocker. Did you write that down like earlier in the week? Is like out of left field. Make sure I say out of left field. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I promise. I, I I I prefer to have my terrible puns on the fly. <laughs> so um, it it is a shocker, and with the timing of it, you know it's. Yeah roughly five months after the season has closed it's also a week to two weeks not very long after you know he was just there at the ceremony for the breaking ground uh first pitch by the governor presenting the check Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a little weird on the timing 
And the way the press releases read is it's kind of a, you know, let's agree to part ways from both sides of WAGs and the athletic department or, you know, Christian Spears. So it is a little weird on the timing. Now, we at the Thundercast are never ones to dog anyone. Uh, and I, I think that you would agree with me is we haven't been able to follow baseball like we would. Uh, you know, a lot of the games are, uh, for me at least, it's a, a weeknight or a, a time that I just can't go up there and it's up on Route 2 and it's not downtown. I was really looking forward to being downtown uh, be able to go to more games. I plan on getting season tickets when they come out, not just with the Thundercast tickets, but me personally. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge baseball nut, but there have been things on social media where even former players are saying, hey, this is going to make Marshall go upward. There's other former players on social media that are saying, this man gave me a, a chance and this is a sad thing. So it's kind of one of those split a little bit. I mean, I, you can't please everyone. I know that, but it was shocking to me to see some former players or at least a couple weigh in and say, Hey, this will ultimately help Marshall go higher. And I'm not, I'm just reporting on what I saw. I'm not bashing anybody. Yeah. This is strict, strictly, you know, just a, just a take, right. It's, it does, it's not meant to come out anyway, but we know what kind of monster that Sunbelt baseball is, you know, we, Mm -hmm. we, we've been talking about it for months and in 16 years at the helm, you know, there's been a little bit of success here and there, but Marshall by and large has been a slightly below average program from a record standpoint, right. From wins and losses alone. So if you're going into a conference that really hangs its hat on baseball, I mean, mm-hmm. it's football, then baseball. I don't think there's anybody that would really argue that. Uh, then this seems like the right time because you get to pitch, hey, we've got a brand new stadium that's going to be built. The, the 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 pool of candidates that you might be able to go after, um, you would like to think becomes a little bit more high profile because of that factor alone. And you're surrounded in a, by a community that will, you know, that supports its, its teams, you know, I mean, you don't have to go any farther than softball. The, the community supports the softball team. Right. So uh, while this is sad on a number of fronts, it's disappointing and it's disheartening on a number of fronts. And and you expect to hear things like that from former players who, just like you said, the man gave me a chance and without yeah. him, I may not have continued to play ball. Right. I feel for those guys because yeah. I, w- I would feel the same way. But if, if the, if the thought is we're going to go make a, I don't want to say splash higher because that's more of a football term, right? But if you're going to go make a splashy kind of sexy type higher to where you're like, look, we mean business now. We want to open this stadium and 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 capitalize on the on the uh, on the uh, motiv- not motivation the uh, momentum around this program. Then if that's what you feel you got to do, then that's what you got to do, right? So, I mean, I hope. Marshall goes out and <laughs> the baseball puns continue. Just makes a grand slam higher, right? But we're hoping... I need I need a bell or something where I can <laughs> ding these off. You can you can be my you can be the Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson. Just a high O every now and then will be fine. <laughs> but no, if that's if that's the goal, if that's what you want to do, then okay. You can't 
if you've got to rip the bandaid off now, then do it and look forward to, you know, the pool of candidates and who might be interested and who you can get, right? You can't do it six months from now because baseball season's going to be upon you. Yeah, you can't strike out. That's on right. This, on this hire. <laughs> so you got to, if that's what you want to do, but nonetheless, it's still shocking. Uh, it was a shocking bit of news this week. And we wish Wags the best, right? Because yeah. he, he's far too good of a coach. He will, if he so chooses to continue coaching, he will coach again. That, yeah. that, that it goes without saying. Yeah. And here, here's one of those deals is when you look at the record over 16 years, there was one very good season, uh, decently recently, I think didn't mean to rhyme that, but, uh, at least I wasn't throwing out baseball puns. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, he had a good season. I can't remember if it was 2016, 2018, one of those it was a, a, a banner year. And then there were a lot of losing seasons in there. But again, how hard has it been to recruit yeah. when you don't have a facility? Right. How hard is it to win when you're driving to Charleston, you're driving to Bluefield for home games? Right. You know? So... I don't know. It's uh, it's one of those things. I obviously, I mean, I threw this out there at the beginning. I have not been able to follow like I want and how I hope to when this next season starts. Um, it was already in the throes of the season when we started the Thundercast, but I'm. It was a shocker to me. Yeah. You know, I I just expected that he would at least get to open the the new stadium and get a couple of seasons with that stadium to to prove himself so yeah i mean i think since we hadn't heard anything about a potential coaching change that's why it's so shocking you know yeah. we're like cool man this is finally happening for wags and his staff and those players and this is going to be great and then to see that news it was just shocking that's all there was to it. it's just shocking so see if i'm wrong but did we not just hire a new pitching coach yep Sure uh, so he came in under that, and I don't know how that will play now if he will stay on this new roster. I I know this has happened before with a good friend of mine uh, in the football coaching ranks. He got hired uh, as a position, and something came out with the head coach, and the head coach got let go. And after he had moved and all of that, mm -hmm. he had to up and move again and was without a job. Now, that didn't last long. He wasn't unemployed long, and he's – still doing what he does to this day, but that sort of thing happens in the coaching ranks. But that was the first thing uh, that that day that I was processing was I'm fairly certain. And I'm thinking East Carolina, we had just gotten a coach from. Well, East, I, I, it was, well, it was in Carolina. I was thinking yeah. West, Western Carolina. So maybe it is, maybe, it's, it, I maybe don't it was Western Carolina, but uh, I remember us talking about it. And I remember us being excited about it because it all was, previous stops the team era had dropped by sometimes of over a full run and our so, our weakness was not batting this uh past year it was uh era and yeah giving up runs so yeah so you like to think in any coaching situation whoever the head coach is wants to have, wants to hire his staff now that guy that he may continue to be on the marshall staff he might, you, know, you know what you're the guy for the job that's fine we'll keep you know some of the pieces in place but uh if certain guys you know, they let's say you elevate and it's your first ever head coaching job. Well, you, you're going to want to probably have people that you are familiar with surrounding you. So mm -hmm. it, it's interesting. It's an interesting storyline to watch as we move forward and as baseball season grows closer, for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. 
we have a little bit of news on number two about herd country logger. You know, we have been talking about that and it was supposed to be out for the first game. Then where was it for the second game? You and I personally <laughs> went out and looked for it, you know, to have it at the yeah. tailgate. Uh, one of my sponsors for uh, the game two, I think it was, uh, we, we went out and looked for it, couldn't find it <laughs> in stores. Well, it's coming now officially on October the 24th and they just had it uh, for this big green uh, slash season ticket holder uh, event that was on Saturday. Uh, yesterday we're recording Sunday night. So I had some of it over there. And for those on our YouTube, you can look right here as I about knock it over. We've got a, uh, herd country logger cup, uh, right behind us. And that came from that event, but it'll be in all major retailers that serve beer. Uh, it'll be out on October the 24th. And that is a week from Monday. You guys are probably listening to this on Monday. Yep. So it'll be one week from today. It's about time. Dag on it. It is. It is. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, if I get to make another trip up to Huntington, it will be well in stores by then. Yeah. And we will be able to have a supply of that, you know, at, at tailgates. But uh, I tell you what, the Marshall released that uh, video commercial. I guess it's a slight commercial type thing with uh, mm -hmm. Red Dawson taking the drink on the front porch. And it's just pretty cool. And then you get to see that can there. And it's got the, uh, well, I mean, just by happenstance, I've got the young you know, the 1971 logo on the t-shirt and that's the, that's the Buffalo they're using on the beer label on the can. And it's, it's sweet. That's just my favorite, you know, one of probably my favorite logo that Marshall has. And, um, I'm looking forward to it. I know a lot of people are too. We've had people in our DMS, people on our Twitter account saying, Hey man, where's the beer? Have you guys found it? Cause I'm looking for it. If you guys can't find it, then it must not be around. And you're right. It wasn't around, but it should be in a couple of weeks. I've just been telling everybody, yeah, but I've been drinking it all. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're keeping the shelves empty. Yeah. Now I did get to taste it there at that event, and uh, it it it's it's good. You know, I don't know. Not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone likes beer. You know, mm -hmm. but uh, I can't wait to have it in stores and in stadiums because every time and when I say stadiums, I'm not expecting like it's going to be picked up at Ohio State or something, <laughs> right? But we're going to have it in the cam, in the cam. Yeah. We're going to have it at the soccer facility. We're going to have it at the new, we'll have it at softball and we'll have it at baseball. So it will be around at those ticketed places that will have beer. All right. Number three. Oh, you know, we ought to talk a little bit. You mentioned about that logo on there. Mm -hmm. That, that is what is considered a vault logo mm -hmm. it's not something that is used every day in our university or athletic department but that means that every time someone purchases this like the stores purchase it or whatever every time that logo is used that's just revenue that goes straight to the university and the athletic department so having a beer it's not just about that brand that helps of course getting more brand recognition around here, but it means money. Yeah. Yeah. It means money. So if you take a sip and you're like, Hey, this is, I can deal with this, then make it your everyday drink, right? Yeah. Make it Or your every, not everyday drink, but make it your game day choice. Yeah. If you're, if you're going to have 30 beers a day, make, <laughs> make sure that you have, make, make them a uh, herd country longer. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I was just cutting you off. I knew that's yeah. what you were going. I Ooh. knew that's where you were going. 
Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Number three is uh hoops in Huntington event. And what a home run. I'm not on the baseball puns. That's just, yeah, that's, I got a feeling this is just going to sadly continue this episode. We're no, on that train and it's just, I, I use home run on a lot of stuff and that was a home run. You know, yeah. that, that was a home run event. It was well thought out. It was well planned. Uh, it was electric. It was just a, a very nice atmosphere from the people that I spoke to, um, you cannot do this until the NCAA says, hey, you can have practice on this day. I mean, you just cannot do it. Right. used to be a, a midnight madness type event, and, and it would be the day that you could start. I can remember North Carolina, Kentucky, all these teams would have a midnight madness, and they'd have a dunk contest and introduce the team, and ESPN would show it, or at least the highlights the next day, that sort of thing. So there was a little bit of confusion and things and they had to have it here. Well, they've actually been practicing for a little bit longer, like a week or two weeks or so. Next year, it should coincide with the first day and hopefully be a little warmer, but it still was not that bad weather-wise and everything about it was top-notch. Yeah, it looked so cool. A lot of those pictures that were from overhead shots or, or you know, fourth, fifth floors of buildings or whatever, it just looked so cool, man. And I bet, uh, even from the turnout, it looked like there was a fairly decent crowd there. A lot of people turned out to see, uh, you know, the three-point shootout. And and um, I think, did they play games of knockout too? They did, yeah. And and a dunk contest, of course, I'm sure. Yeah. You, know, you kind of have to. But it just looked so cool, man. It and just I did. I took some videos, but I was positioned where I thought that they were going to be doing the dunk contest. And at the last minute they said, let's go down to the other end of the floor. So some of the dunks, I, I still zoomed in on the video and got, I haven't put these on our Twitter or mm -hmm. Facebook yet, but, and, and Instagram, but I'm, I'm going to go through and we're going to upload those this week and have a little more for people that weren't there so they could see, especially with the dunks. But, um, a little bit through the dunk contest, the players that were seated or seated at half court got up and stood up to hype up the the dunkers, and it blocked a lot. You could see only the dunk itself at the very end and the lower half of the body was blocked by the people standing in front. So it wasn't like I couldn't run down to the other end and excuse me, Thundercast here, going to take some videos. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, I was just positioned there at the other end of the court and got got what i could but so I, one or two things what stood out the most to you that Kerf, you just that you just saw yeah just Kerf, obs general observations kerfman our new shooter our new yep. guard that we have talked about on the show is money and we have a lot of good shooters we do and i could tell when we were warming up uh people that were in the three-point contest all of them shot well they shot well when they were warming up. Obviously, it's different in the game situations, mm -hmm. but they were shooting with people acting like a defender on them, you know, as they warmed up to get warmed up. And Kerfman stood out even amongst those shooters. Um, I think at one time he nailed seven in a row. And the time frame was, it's just, you shoot as many as you can. It's not like uh 60 seconds and they have the five racks and you run right. around. They were all shooting from the top of the key. And uh I think that was 
manned no the the guys did the girls were shooting some of them were shooting from the wing uh i was expecting the reason that they did they did that was so the balls weren't going out an errant ball coming off the rim and hitting a fan or something they had the backboard there and things but um they were just as many balls that could be fed to them they would shoot them and i didn't count how many he shot but he hit 21 in 60 seconds and I don't care where you're at and how many balls people will hand to you. That's a lot to hit mm-hmm. in 60 seconds. Yeah. There was uh 12 by Kyle Braun, if I remember correctly, and 15 by Andy Taylor, and then 21 by Cam Kerfman. And that stood out. The uh, other thing that stood out was some of these bodies have gotten bigger in the weight room. You can tell they've been putting in some effort. Mm-hmm. Good. That was a that was a thing that we had seen for the past couple of seasons. Really, is that Marshall would tend to get banged around down low and inside, and yeah. and uh, really have trouble with those bigger bodied guys. You know, I mean, not too many guys in, in Conference USA had too much success from Lo- uh, with Lofton from Louisiana Tech or mm-hmm. uh, Jamarian Sharp at Western Kentucky. It's just those are kind of outliers as far as guys you have to match up with. But even still, Marshall had trouble getting banged around and, and uh, you know, getting kind of outbodied a little bit for, yeah. for rebounds. So it's nice to see that there's been a little bit of a commitment uh, by a lot of these guys to uh, get a little bigger, faster, and stronger. And, and you bring in a sharpshooter that is really the – the lifeblood of a D'Antoni style offense. And it's something that while it hasn't been missing the super sharpshooter, the sniper, so to speak, the John Elmore, Stevie Browning type players have been missing uh, for, you know, since they departed. So if Kerfman can bring some of that back to herd basketball and we can get back to doing what we like to do, then uh, maybe we'll see some, an, an uptick in success in our first year in the Sunbelt. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, now we've talked about the schedule and how it's kind of underwhelming. The, oh, uh, kind of brutal, conference. actually. Yeah. But I mean, they should have plenty of time to get everything before a conference lined out with that schedule. And I would not be surprised that that would allow some of the incoming freshmen or these guys that need more in-game action to to get up to speed, get in game shape, that sort of thing. Sure. Not saying not saying anybody's out of shape, but coming from high school or it's prep school, world. it's totally it's totally different. Yeah, and just... you have to have time in the system. You have to have time in front of bigger crowds and on TV. I mean, butterflies and nerves still happens. Sure. So, sure. But I, I was impressed. Some of the newcomers uh, were a little thicker than I was expecting to have a true freshman. They have just gotten to school here in August and have not had a lot of time in the weight room. But these guys, I was expecting more bean poles from some of these guys. Uh, Seven-footer uh, Micah Handlockton, he was he was filled out a lot more than I was expecting. And uh, usually the reason I say that is he's seven-foot, and usually if those guys are not, you know, minute bowl thin, they <laughs> – <laughs> they're go they're going somewhere, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and we got him and I was expecting that it was because he wasn't college ready that maybe he needed to go put on 25 pounds somewhere, but no, he I mean, he could he could withstand another 25 pounds or so if he's going to be 
a true center, you know, he definitely would need to put on some more weight, but he looked athletic and he already looked like he's been in the gym. Good. Good. It's nice yeah. to see. It's, I mean, nice to hear, you know, it, it, we had a few holes that needed filled and, and of course, dude, it's, it's quote unquote midnight madness. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot to be, you know, worked on between now and games and even in games and in the season, there's a lot that's going to have to be polished up before you have a true account of what this team's going to look like. Right. But but for some of the newcomers to open your eyes a little bit, oh, by the way, Tavion Kinsey's still on the roster. So yeah. there's just a lot to kind of be excited about, you know? So good, good. Um, and I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but we may have. This is a good time to just mention it again if we haven't. Thundercast will be giving away uh, basketball tickets to every single home men's and women's basketball game this season. So if you're not excited fully, maybe that'll help uh, amp you up a little bit because we'll be giving away a buttload of tickets as per the norm. Yeah. So uh, number four mm -hmm. is the first ever Pride event for martial athletics in any sport was just held two days ago as we're recording on Sunday. Friday night, volleyball had Pride Night, helped uh, and coincide with uh, Huntington Pride. They, they helped uh, put it on. So this is uh, leading into this week's NCAA Diversity and Inclusion Week, which you'll see more stuff from social media, not only from our team, but all teams in NCAA. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool, man. I mean, the herd is for everybody, right? I mean, you, one family. That's right. The herd family and it's in everybody no matter what is welcome, period. I don't know how many ways you have to say it, how many ways you have to spell it. It's that's what it is and that's what it should be so it's cool that these things uh these events are happening and um i hope that the turnout was good you know for friday night i hope it was uh, well attended and and uh, there was a lot no i mean volleyball it generally has a lot of energy anyway so i hope it was well attended and it created an even bigger more fun atmosphere to be a part of there so uh hopefully we can see more of that more of these high energy events as uh, these trickle through the athletic department and we get to celebrate uh, each sport takes their turn to celebrating those things. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, finally for our five things is football's homecoming kickoff. The time will be set tomorrow as you're listening. It'll be set today if you're listening on Monday, but uh, ESPN will announce that at 1145 AM. And then we'll know because ESPN has the 12 days out for how they line up their schedule on what channel, what affiliate, that sort of thing. I have it on pretty good authority that it'll be 3.30 p.m. That's what Marshall has requested, and it's most likely not going to be picked up to be on ESPN2 or probably definitely not ESPN proper. Uh, probably be on ESPN+, Plus, which will mean a 3.30 kick, but you'll know by the time you're listening to this, it'll already be out, but you will know and be able to set your homecoming schedule and itinerary. Yeah, it seems like it's for as long as I can remember, I mean, TV or not, that Marshall has had a 3.30 kick for homecoming it, because it's just that's what you should do. It gives folks the whole evening, really, to have their homecoming events, you know, their get-togethers or their reunion-type things and, and, and the morning to do the same sort of stuff. So that 3.30 kick just fits. Uh, if, I would say this, if, if these are two huge ifs because well they're not ifs anymore coastal already lost james madison already lost so the, no, neither of those teams are undefeated any longer but had they remained undefeated and then if marshall goes into 
James Madison and wins that game, and they are the reason that James Madison is no longer undefeated, uh, then you might have to worry about that. But the way things shook out with those other teams and and uh, what just happened with Hurd, which we'll talk about in a little bit, 330 is probably a safe bet. Yeah. I, I seem to remember in the mid-10s that there was a noon homecoming, and they did uh, – that's when they had pushed the parade to yeah. Thursday. Early. Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, no! I was thinking there was one that was really early. We had to be at uh, like a like a nine a.m. homecoming parade or something like that. I don't know. I can just tell you that uh, they pretty recently started having the parade earlier in the week, and it makes a lot more sense to not have to try to figure that out with people want to tailgate. You yeah, don't want right. to do it. But uh, I think three thirty is a very good sweet spot for most of the games. Uh, I don't. I like a noon game every now and then because we do a brunch tailgate mm-hmm. and that's, that's my preference to throw one of those in once a year, but unless it's on a, a big time TV is the reason that it's on a noon game. I'd much prefer a three thirty. Yeah. I mean, I'm cool with earlier kicks as it gets later in the season, just because it gets cold in Huntington. So at least you get, if you can call it warmth of the day, you know, at least you get the sunlight and the daylight, you know, all of it for your game. But yeah, it's three thirty is perfect. So we'll, we'll see if that holds solid holds true with what we think will happen. I'm, I'm guessing yes, but we will see. Yeah. All right. That is our five things. Every herd fan needs to know this week. And as always brought to you by ignite Lake. Well, a pretty solid yet somewhat shocking five things. Uh, let's transition and talk about this football game that went down this past Wednesday night, Louisiana, the Raging Cages came to town. We had a huge deep dive for the preview with the guys, of the Raging Review podcast. Thanks to, to those guys once again for coming on and joining. That was a great episode. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. A lot of great information was talked around, talked, tossed around. And, uh, you know, we felt quite differently. Um, but when it all shook out, Louisiana came into Huntington, West Virginia, and beat the herd, uh, twenty-three to thirteen, dropping Marshall to three and three on the season, zero and two, still seeking that first Sun Belt Conference win. So here we are; we're halfway through the regular season. Marshall is a five hundred ball club. I don't know that too many people thought that was going to be the case in the preseason. I know I certainly was not one of those. Uh, if you look at those indicators, Russ. This was not a very good game. It was split, but split in the wrong areas for Marshall. Uh, you you were able to have the luxury to watch the game live and then go back and watch a replay. So I know you've got some interesting insights based on that rewatch and based on some things you were paying some particular attention to. So before you get into all that stuff, and let me, you know, we'll talk about the stats here in a second, but uh, it was a pretty big event, right? It was a it was a Wednesday night game, not something that we'd seen in a number of years. Marshall debuted the black helmets. They wore the all-black uniforms, which I did see. I was unable to watch the game in its entirety, but I found a fairly lengthy, uh, shortened version of the game, so I felt like I have a pretty good idea of what went on there. The herd looked sharp. <laughs> I mean, from the uniforms, they look sharp. I'm going to tell you, I, I really like that black helmet. It looked really good. So let's talk about, before we get into the game, the tailgate. We had Thundercast live there. There were some guys from out of town, like, uh, you know, the the um, uh, Ben Chase that's trying to do 60 games in a season. That was his stop for Marshall. 
uh, the, the guy that travels the country visiting all the campuses was in town that weekend. So there was a lot going on. He stopped by the tailgate ever so briefly and, uh, he, he had to duck out, had other places to go, but Mike came by CFB campus tour and, uh, we talked, you know, maybe a minute, two minutes, that sort Mm -hmm, of thing. mm -hmm. And, uh, just always nice to meet people like that because, they come to these schools to watch these games, but they also, they wear the, the attire and they go around taking photos. So they just get an appreciation of the, the school. This was Mike's third game, by the way, mm-hmm. with the uh, campus tour. Yeah. It, so I, I, that's what I want to do. I want to talk about the, you know, the vibe around before you got into the game, because it seemed like there was a fair amount of more than a fair amount of optimism leading into this one. This is what a lot of folks had circled to be not just that little bit of a revenge game that we talked about leading into it based on the 2021 New Orleans Bowl and that, you know, that egregious hit on Willie Johnson that really changed the trajectory of that game for the herd. Uh, But there was just a lot of optimism that this was going to be the herd's opportunity to get it right, to finally bust out of the funk against, you know, anybody other than FCS teams and Notre Dame. (laughs) So, uh, that just wasn't the case. But leading into that, what was it like down there? Other than the rain, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple. It, it was not like Gardner Webb. It wasn't a, a steady rain and 45 minutes straight of just a downpour. But we got over to the tailgate, and they said there's going to be some cloud bursts and, and thunderstorms heading this way and it's going to be in 10 minutes. So we immediately got up the tents. We got everything underneath the tents that try to keep everything dry. And at that point I had realized, Hey, we should have done. It takes forever to get that boil pot going because of how huge it is. We should have lit that first. And we didn't because we were trying to make sure everything would stay dry. Mm -hmm. So we got a little bit of a late start because of the rain um, that pushed back Thundercast Live a little bit. It threw my entire agenda. You know how it is with that low country boil. I have it timed out to the second. It threw it out the window. So it was a little disjointed. I was a little upset about that, but there were dozens and dozens of people at our tailgate. Good. People people stopping by. People I threw this up on my personal Twitter, but there were a lot of people that came by and said, Hey, you're with Thundercast. I just wanted to say, you know, love what you guys are doing and, you know, welcomed him over and then we tailgated a little bit. Um, it was just so nice to, to see some of these people that you only get to see at a game or something. Uh, one of the players' dads is from states and states away and he came by and it was the first time I got to meet him and uh, he, he stayed for the food and I, I said, can't take no for an answer. You got to stay and eat, you know, <laughs> but um, it, it was fun. You know how I am. I always like to do a low country boil. I try to do one a year. I try to pick a game. Sometimes it's homecoming, but it, a lot of times it's a timing situation. And that's what this was. Um, tailgate was fun. It was just wet. Well, I mean, it's good that I that you're telling me uh, there were a lot of people that are feeling more and more comfortable stopping by saying hi because yeah. that's what we want. It's a it, it should be a friendly landing spot, it's just part of your game day, right? Just come on by, just for even if it's for a second, say what's up, 
And, uh, you know, we're not looking for any pats on the back. Like, Hey, I listen all the time. You guys do a great job. No, that's not what it's about. Just come but by and say, Hey, feel free to do that. Anyway. Feel free <laughs> to do that anyway. Uh, okay. So I knew there was, uh, some rain in the forecast or, you know, it was, could be an issue. I did not reckon, realize that, that there was a lightning delay until mm. much after the game was over. I didn't even know that was a thing, you know, cause I was at work and didn't get to watch any of it. I didn't know any of that. So, yeah. uh, I know that had an effect on the game immediately when I hear lightning delay, I think back to that game in Morgantown where we had a ridiculously lengthy lightning delay that ultimately they just ended the game, you know, because there, the delay there was, was so big. There was one in Huntington too, when we had a lightning delay and they ended up, uh, I think they shortened that game and just said it's over. And I, I can remember having to go back down to the union, mm -hmm. but, uh, it, it was, it was kind of reminiscent of that. It was 37 minute delay and it, it just happened to extend halftime. So halftime was already 20 minutes. So it was an additional 37 minutes after they had brought people back in. So it was an hour or just over an hour after they did the 20 minutes plus the, Hey, what are we going to do? And now let's have a, a delay. So it, it really made everything disjointed. People were not allowed to stay in the stadium, of course, in the stands, but even under the concourse, they were telling everybody, Hey, you can't stay here. You got to get out. Yeah. yeah. That's unfortunate. You know, a lot of people went home. Yeah, well, of course, because you don't know how long it's going to last. And now yeah. you're in the parking lot and you're like, eh, well, this is a bust. Let's just go yeah. to the house. So that's unfortunate. Uh, that's not what you want when you have the opportunity to showcase your program and your brand on the national stage. Uh, a lot of eyes were on that game, undoubtedly. Um, and it's also unfortunate that Herd was not able to come out with a win in that one. So let's talk about the stats, right? Four big indicators. Uh, yardage. 378 yards for Louisiana, 276 for the Herd. Time of possession goes in favor of the Herd just by a little bit, though. 31-42 for the Herd, 28-18 for Louisiana. 17-16 to in favor of the Herd for first downs. Turnovers is the huge one, right? Two for the Herd, none for Louisiana. Tack on two more turnovers on downs for Marshall, but one turnover on downs for Louisiana. Um, I can't go too much farther without saying one of those turnover on downs is a play that uh, I was being told by friends, like, when you see this play, you'll know what I mean. It changed the course of the game. And it did. And it, it was – I'm not making excuses for the herd losing, but that changed the course of that game. And I'm talking about Cam Fancher on a fourth and three. Uh, he fumbles the ball. It's obviously a fumble. They call the forward progress dead, but Logan Osborne picks the ball up and rumbles inside the 10 or right at the 10 to give what would be a first and goal to the herd or first and 10 from the 11. You know, It was on the 10. And so they call him down, uh, forward progress stopped, and that's a fourth down play. So that's a turnover on down. So it's a huge swing. You like to think if you're first and 10, you're going to at least get three, possibly get six with an extra point to come. And instead, Louisiana goes the other way, and it's basically a 14-point swing in that game. And that was crushing for Marshall. So let's not fast forward too far into that, but that that was the play, much like the late hit in the bowl game that changed the, tra the trajectory of that game. That play right there, that one, it changed the trajectory of that game for Marshall. They could have – they were only down, what, 16-7 to seven or something like – I can't remember the 
you'd have to tell me. You'd have to remind me how, what the score was at that time, but it was like a one score game. Anyway, it was, it was 16 to seven. Yeah. And uh, benefit of watching live. I couldn't tell, you know, I even looked up on the screen and it's just hard to see with, with the replay angles they were showing when I rewatched it, it was so egregious. So and, apparent. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that we should have won that game. Uh, so anyone opposing fans, um, I'm not saying that, but that was one of those like, Hey, they got it wrong and it would have been overturned by a review without a doubt, but you could not review that play mm-hmm. because it was, it was forward progress. You can't say, well, I want to challenge the spot, you know, because you, you can't, you can't challenge the fumble because there was not one ruled. Um, it, it was so unfortunate, but the ball came out before he was anywhere near forward progress. Yep. I mean, it, it was almost instantaneously someone from Louisiana, uh, and one of our players, I believe body hit the ball, uh, and it came out and no one saw it and it was like bouncing around around knees and that sort of thing. And it, it's there just sitting on the ground while everyone's still in the scrum and Logan Osborne picks it up and gingerly runs it down to the <laughs> 10. <laughs> uh, I was, uh, I was getting out the old stopwatch there to try to see what his 40 time was Logan. If you're listening, man, we love you. And, uh, you're not paid to run a, a 40 in uh four two. So I wouldn't worry about it, dog. Yeah, but it was, I mean, that's the play you dream of as a lineman, man. You get to rip off a big, huge run, like 40 yards or something, oh, 35 yards. He threw a stiff arm right at the end, I man. He, 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 he had his sights set on the end zone. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right though. Calling, calling stoppage of forward progress on that play is, is totally the wrong call. Yeah. In fact, Fancher almost took an entire other step after the ball came out. It yeah. you call you you call stopped forward progress when a guy gets stood up and starts going the other way. Not yeah. when it's obvious the momentum of the play is not over. It, it's right. not over. That was a that was a terrible terrible no call or a terrible miss call. However you want to categorize it, it was the total worst call ever. I'm I'm still not on the horse that you know, that's the play that would change the game. Uh, I do think that it changed it significantly. Yes. But uh, as we get into this deep dive, we are not making excuses, me nor you, uh, no. that, that that's why we lost. So just for anyone that tries to get a sound bite to play, that's not our angle here. No, not at all. Because if you go in for a touchdown, it's still a 16 to 14 game. Yeah. I'm just saying things started happening differently after that play. Well, you know? so as we get into it, I'll show you how it changed before that, but we'll get into that in a little bit. All right. Well, let me breeze through these stats here, and we'll yeah. talk about those a little bit. Let's start with Cam Fancher, who did not start the game, but ended up being the leading passer for the herd, going seven of nine for just 69 yards, and that led the way for the herd in the passing department. Five rushes for 10 yards, one fumble. And one sack, the fumble was basically inconsequential. The game was in hand. It was late in the fourth quarter, and Louisiana just basically just, you know, chewing clock at that point. Um, and a fumbled no call. <laughs> That's the worst one. I'd rather have him have two fumbles in that game. Uh, no, that here, was it. 
Yeah, oh, okay. Henry Columbia, 9 of 13 for 68 yards and one interception, eight rushes for minus two yards, sacked four times. Fancher was sacked once. I don't know if I remember mentioned that or not. Kalen Laybourne continues to be impressive. 26 carries, 120 yards, two touchdowns, bringing him to 851 yards on the season, 10 touchdowns on the ground. Good for number five in the country. Did you, were you trying to get my attention? Nope. Okay. I have my head down there. I didn't know if you were tr- wanting to say something after I finished uh, Columbia's stat line. Corey Gammage, the leader in the clubhouse in receptions and yardage, four catches, 58 yards. Charles Montgomery, three for 32. All in all, this herd offense, just 137 passing yards total on the day. Two turnovers, five sacks allowed, 140 yards below their season offensive production on this one with 10 days to prepare for this game. Uh, that might be the most upsetting part of the whole thing. You had a really long time to prepare. Yeah, lightning delay probably played into it a little bit, but just like bad weather, both teams have to play in a lightning delay, so it didn't really affect Louisiana that bad. couple of other stats that really pop out at you. One of 11 on third down and two of four on fourth down. Of course, one of those being that terrible non-called fumble. Defensively, Abraham Beauplan has a great day. 11 tackles, three of those solo, one and a half tackles for loss in a quarterback hurry. Eli Neal, seven tackles, three solo, one tackle for loss, one sack in a quarterback hurry. Micah Abraham and Andre Sam both with six tackles apiece. Abraham with four solo and a pass defended added on. And Andre Sam with three of those solo. Uh, Impact plays were basically non-existent for the herd. Sacks by Eli Neal and Kobe Cumberlander. But outside of that, that's it. That's it. They had uh, one recovered fumble on a herd fumble. So that really doesn't count as an impact play, technically. Uh, Special teams-wise, oh, I get I'm sorry. One other note about the defense for the first time in a long time, they struggled a little bit. You know, Louisiana was making some plays at one point in the game. uh, Louisiana scored 20 unanswered points and that was really the catalyst to kind of put this one put not put it out of reach but put Marshall at a disadvantage because their passing game wasn't going very well uh Reese Verhoff zero of one on field goals for the third straight game one of one on extra points also had four punts for a 41.8 yard average with a long of 55 John McConnell one punt for 46 yards um I'm kind of befuddled on this like McConnell's been killing it and all of a sudden he's averaging one or two punts a game and Verhoff's getting three or four punts a game I don't know what's up with that but both guys are being productive so it's hard to gripe at it uh Jaden Harrison for the first time this season gets the herd kick return game to bust out a little bit in a big way three for 69 yards with a long of 34 right out of the gate there in the second half brought the herd out to around the 40 to start uh start their play so that was pretty cool still nothing doing really in the punt return game so nothing to write home about now russ here's where we can start to deep dive a little bit because all the stats are out there so where on earth do you want to start with this one or do you want to incorporate these into grades like you tell me what you want to what best fits for what you have there because i haven't seen it or heard of it well first let me tell you about where it went south okay boring horrible first half we're still up seven to three Mm -hmm. neither team is really doing anything on offense but i would say that woldridge for louisiana was the best player on the field in that first half he was uh throwing the ball uh with some accuracy he was moving in the pocket 
playing bootlegs. Um, he was doing everything that he needed. He looked very polished. Uh, we still had them seven to three going into the half. We come out our first four possessions. And here's how they went after the half. Let's see. We had uh, interception, punt, punt, turnover on downs. That's our first four after the half. Now here's Louisiana's. Touchdown in two minutes and 40 seconds. Field goal, three minutes and six seconds. Field goal, two minutes and 11 seconds. Touchdown, two minutes and 30 seconds. They just moved the ball down the field for one of the field goals. They didn't, they only in six plays, they went 14 yards. Yeah, that must have been the one the kid hit from 52. 52. Um, but they just came out and we, we did everything wrong. One of these, and here's where it went really, really bad. We come out and we throw this interception. They come out and they go rush for two, pass complete for three, pass incomplete. They have a fourth and five at their 45. They're punting. They punt. We we get it. It's It's inside the 15, I think. Hey, there's a flag on there. We lined up over top of the ball and it made it now because it was like fourth and five and some change. So it was like fourth and inches. Now mm-hmm. they rush, get a first down, and then they go down the field later and score a touchdown. Um, I mean, it was, it was just, man, I just, one of the, the other touchdown was we had them on third and 12 and he runs Woldridge runs with a quarterback keeper for 15 yards, gets the first down the very next pass. He throws to the wide receiver. Micah Abraham and uh, is going to tackle him and Eli Neal goes to tackle him and they hit each other and he squirts out and he just basically walks into the end zone, jogs into the end zone. It was just inopportune penalties. It was inopportune. I mean, we're in the first half, we're going down and we're driving and then we have a false start by Driscoll and that backs us up instead of getting the first down, then it's third and long. And it's just all these different mishaps. It just went so south and there's only a handful of plays, but again, I'm not taking away of anything that Louisiana came here and basically kicked our butts. So I'm not, I'm not making excuses and saying, well, if this happened different or this happened different, because if all those things happened different, it obviously would have been a different game, but those sort of things are going to happen. And that's why you still have to play good football. And we did not. Mm -hmm. That's right. I mean, Marshall is not good enough at this point to overcome repeated drive killers. Yeah. And that's, that's not, that's not being harsh. That's you can see it. Everybody's seeing it. You, you can, you can overcome one or two of those, but if they're happening with fair, a fair amount of frequency, we're just not that good to sustain a second and 20. Yeah. Too many. You might you might hit that once, but you're not going to hit it. You know, a couple of times a game, three or four times a game, you're not going to get that. You know, third down conversion, and then you get a hold, and now all of a sudden you're not third and two, you're third and twelve. You, well, you just can't do that. We 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 can't do that right now. 
We're we not efficient enough on offense. We can't pass enough, can't pass the ball with enough efficiency to convert those consistently. We had another uh, where Wooldridge uh, slid, and as he was in the slide, Andre Sam, uh, he actually lowered his helmet, but he didn't hit with the helmet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hit with his shoulder, so he didn't get kicked out of the game for targeting, but it was still a 15-yard penalty, and uh, tack that on. And that that that's just one of those things that, you know, everything else is already going bad. Don't give him another 15 yards. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not dogging him. I'm saying – when things like that happen, you just cannot overcome them because of what you just said. Yeah. But I'll I tell you what, you were right. Uh, Woldridge looked good. And I don't know that this is his first career start. I know I he'd think been, it was. I know he'd been playing a lot that, you know, he played a lot in a backup role, but this it may have been his first career start. Uh, the and announcers said it was. I think uh, that it was. I thought I remembered that, you know, the Raging Review guys had mentioned that and they were actually kind of excited to see him get a full shot. Yeah. from the get-go to see what he could do and man if that's what he can do he looked really good you know he threw a back corner route uh back corner fade Beauti- was, beautiful pass i mean it was a little rough that guy had to make a really good play on it but it was still a good ball went for a touchdown what's wrong yeah. with that you'll take yeah. a touchdown yeah you know and the other one was like you said two of two of our defenders run into each other and the guy waltzes into the end zone but still he's making those plays several other good throws that were right there to where our defender pushed their guy out of bounds or he just mm-hmm. wasn't able to get a foot down I mean, they were attacking down the field. Yeah. That's something that Marshall's not doing consistently. And and it's not something that they are able to do, it seems, consistently, which is frustrating. At one point, watching the highlights of that game, I heard the crowd boo, you know, because they had, like, we just couldn't do anything. And that gets frustrating, you know, and it's, you can take that however you want to take it. You, if you're the person that thinks that they're booing those kids, then that's the way you perceive it. But, I perceive it as fans are like, man, I want to see, we got to see something here. We got to bust yeah. out of this funk. I don't think anybody's, you know, some, you always have buttholes in the crowd that are booing players, but by and large, it's just like, look, man, we're too stagnant here. I didn't, I, I got to see something, show me something, you know? So that's unfortunate. Whenever the boo birds bust out, you know, you're not doing <laughs> nearly enough, right? Cause Marshall's not that quick to bust the boo birds out. Yeah. But if you're not moving the ball and, and it's just, you know, penalty, penalty or punt or turnover or whatever, it gets, it gets tiresome. So let's go to grades. Let's go to grades. Well, first let me revisit my keys to victory. Number one, okay. I said the herd had to stay the course. I'm going to give that a yes, but also a no, because the defense stayed the course pretty well, but they were just unable to make enough plays. I mean, they still kept it close for a long time. And and you look at it, it was like a 10-point loss. So it's not that bad. But, you know, they gave up uh, more points than their average. They gave up more yardage than they were expected to give up. But, you know, it's not complimentary football. So, again, if the offense is doing a little bit more, the defense has a better opportunity. So we did stay the course, but not really. Limit to penalties? Uh, yes and no. Six for 40. Louisiana had six for 52. But it's like you said. You, you get them called on you in terrible situations. So you, you limit the overall number, but the occurrences in which they happen at the times in the game are killer at, at points. Uh, number three, I said the defense had to remain aggressive. They did do that. At some point, I saw a few guys making plays on the ball. Like I always say, I'll never, never uh, crap on a guy for making a play on the ball because if they intercept that ball, you're pumped about it. And I saw that a few times. They did remain aggressive. Uh, they gave up some big plays again. It's something we saw a little bit like from the Bowling Green game. Not as not as egregious, but there were some big plays that allowed Louisiana to get some chunk plays in there. 
And number four, I said they got to take all the points. They got to have them all, and they didn't do that. You know, you miss a field goal for the third straight game. Of course, this one isn't the herd's fault, but you are driving and, well, you get, you're on the wrong side of a non called fumble, which probably ultimately would have led to some sort of points. So that's just points you were unable to take. So that's, you got to think somewhere between six and 10 points that the herd did not get. So now we can move on to grades. Well, uh, one let, one let and a half do, out of okay, one and a half out of four is what I'm giving the herd. Let let me do mine. Uh, I had remembered. I usually don't revisit mine. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I, I have mine from uh, where we did the raging review, and then we were on the radio. Sure. Uh, so one, I said that we had to put pressure on the quarterback. We had to get sacks and hurries because he was getting his first start, and we. You know, they don't have the two quarterbacks anymore. One's out. So they were going to, if they have to go to a backup at this point, it's going to be a true freshman, most likely. So did they do that? No. No, two sacks doesn't get it done. No. (laughs) Yeah. And when we did get those, it was early in the game. And Mm -hmm. they just did not get pressure on him late. And that's when he just sat back and picked us apart. Number two, I said that we had to prevent turnovers. Did we do that? No. We threw a horrible interception. It was Mm -hmm. in double coverage. Uh, I'm going to get into that here in a little bit. Uh, We had the the fumbles that uh, one was a turnover on downs, a non-fumble because it wasn't called a fumble. The other fumble was at the end of the game where you have to go down and score. You're down two two touch well a touchdown and a field goal but you're down two scores you have to go down them and we fumble and Mm -hmm. that was basically the game's over at that point um three lack of penalties did we do that no we did not do that in fact as i talked about earlier we gave up some of the costliest penalties that you can do they're punting on fourth and five fourth and five and a half we go ahead and receive the punt Nothing changed on that except for the guy was standing over top of the ball. You cannot do that. We had a couple of false starts. You cannot do that. One was on Driscoll, the left tackle. Uh, He just stood up. And the other was um, on Charles Montgomery. He just fell down. He was standing there and he lost his balance. And he had to put his hand down to prevent it. But that's moving forward. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that when you're on the line. And that was another momentum killer. We had, uh, we didn't have a lot of those offensive line penalties like holding and things like that. Uh, But the ones we did, the, the late hit roughing the passer by Sam, uh, those two offensive uh, false starts. And then the killer was that one that extended the drive, let him go get a touchdown when, they had already punted. Mm-hmm. And fourth, I said field position, that we really needed to control the field position. Did we do that? No. We had not only those drive extenders that we were just talking about, but then we had uh, an inept offense at some times that we didn't do more than a three and out, and then we hit a, a punt. None of them were inside the 20. So they're getting the ball. We're not scoring, so we're not kicking off, and they're not starting from their 25. They're starting a couple times. They started at midfield. That one time that they hit a 52-yard field goal, like I said, they went 14 yards. They started on the 50. And 
maybe it was the 49, but you get my point. It's right at midfield. We did not do that. All four keys to victory that I said that we needed to do, we did not do. It doesn't matter that we ranked, and I, you know, all I was giving was where we were ranked. Uh, the guys on Raging, when they did their own uh, post show, you know, they were talking about how we were keying on these rankings and everything. Well, the rankings are the, what they are. I didn't make them up. You know, mm-hmm. we were fourth in in this they were 122nd out of 131 only giving up uh or giving up 47 and a half percent conversions on third down and we got one for 11 yeah one one for 11 when they were coming into the game giving up 47 and a half they did they did what they needed to do we did not do what we needed to do but that that did not change what the rankings were and the matchups were going into the game they executed we did not that's right we, they have a, they have the ability to run and effectively pass, and we have the ability to effectively run. That's yeah. basically the difference. If you if you, if you can't if your opposing if your opposition knows that you can't effectively pass the ball on a third down, who do you think they're going to key on? I mean, right. too many Christmas. You know, you you load the box up and say, all right, Labron, let's see you go through ten guys. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying they had ten in the, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, they they routinely, uh, as I did the rewatch, they had eight in the box several different times. Yeah, so they're they're forcing you. They're forcing you to beat them, forcing you to show me something. Show me a reason I have to drop an extra guy out of the box. Show me. Let's let's do the grades, and this time I don't want to expand a whole lot on the grades because I've got I've got so much on the deep dive. If you've got something, uh, you know, go ahead and share. But I'm just going to give my grade, and then not much of a reason why. Okay. No offensive uh, grade for the herd as a whole. F. Okay. <laughs> Moving along. Quarterback <laughs> grade for the herd. F. <laughs> oh, clean sheet here so far. Defense. What do you got? D minus. Wow. Um, yeah. They so without being the benefit of watching the full game because you you didn't. I got to watch it twice. Mm-hmm. We got beat over the middle. We got beat on the outside. We uh, gave up over 100 yards rushing. Uh, it was still, it was only like 103 or whatever. We had the same rushes per attempt. Uh, I mean, yeah, rushing yards per attempt at 3.2 that they did. We just rushed more. Right. We rushed 44 times. They rushed 34 times. Uh, so it's not like we got killed on the ground, but we did not dominate with our defense against the run. Uh, they tore us apart passing it wasn't like they threw for 300 on us but they had guys beating our corners it just the the one time that we got a really good break on it uh Jadarius Green uh McKnight almost picked it off and it would have been a pick six Mm -hmm. there was another time that we almost got a sack and Wooldridge got the ball off and he sailed it just a bit and we would have probably gotten a pick six on that, but it went, you know, just, it was uncatchable for our guys. Um, but it was one of those, he sailed it high when he got hit. And if it hadn't gone six more inches over the guy's head, we probably would have had an interception there. But we had too many infrequent times of that. They beat us over the middle with the drag on their tight end. They were wide open on slants on their wide receiver. Their big 6'4 wide receiver beat our corners on several different occasions. D minus. It's not an F because in the first half, they couldn't do much. But 
in the first half, they still were moving the ball at several different points against us. Fair enough. Special teams, what do you got? F. Um, well, you're over one on <laughs> you're over one on a field goal. Yeah, and it, it was at a time where we were down by three, and you know it wasn't a, a long uh, field goal. I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me. It's in the 30s, um, I think. Um, the punting, even though the average was there, that time that we uh, uh, started them at midfield, it was a 33 yard net punt. When you're pinned back, you cannot hit one for 33. Right. So uh, we just – we had a chance to break one with Harrison. We didn't. But you can't miss the field goals. You can't miss a two-point conversion. You can't miss um, uh, on our defense giving them – going from a punt to give us the ball – to a silly penalty. That's a special teams play. That was not defense. Mm-hmm. All of those things. F. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's the rough one, right? 10 days to prepare. We talked about this before and this is the result you get. Uh, what do you got for the coaches? D. And the only reason it's not an F is because I don't care what the play calling was or whatever. I'm going to get into that in a little bit with this uh, deep dive that I did on the passing game, but um, the players have to execute. Mm-hmm. The players got the the penalties. The I, I know of no coach. I don't know that the special teams coach or Lance Gidry sat out there and said, guys, I want you to get a silly penalty and extend this drive. Right. And, and it, it just, that's what happened. We, we had silly penalties uh, and we had poor execution and that led to that. But I can't put it all on the coaches, but I can put a lot because we had 10 days to prepare. So they get a slight pass, but they get a D. Yeah. Not to mention that you do take the lead into the halftime, right? And so yeah. it's a, it's a, it looks like it's one of those, well, one team made adjustments and one team didn't. You know, and one com- team came out and executed and the other team didn't. Coming out in that first drive after halftime, the coaches, I mean, the announcers even said because Laburn had two really nice, runs to start it off and they said well it looks like marshall kind of and i don't think they were trying to use this as a pun they said looks like marshall kind of weathered the storm Mm -hmm. and you know now they're getting ready to break away you know they scored uh before the half and then you know uh not right before the half but you know they had a touchdown and on a on a good uh drive and then they come into start moving the ball and then we throw it downfield into double coverage for an easy interception. Yeah. Last one we got to talk about is the fans. Uh, the att- announced attendance was just shy of 20 K for a Wednesday night game. Now you, if you think that's a good number, okay. If you don't think that's a good number, okay. You are also there down in you know, the vibe pregame and the vibe during the stadium or during the game. What do you give the fans in their overall grade? I want to say that I'm not one of those fans that is calling out and saying, Hey, I'm a super fan. Mm-hmm. I, I was there until probably 30 seconds left in the game. And then I was, I mean, obviously the game's over. They're just going to try to run the clock out. And we went ahead and walked out. I didn't stay for the last 30 seconds, but I stayed through a lot of rain and stuff. There were others there and I, Guys, I'm not talking to you when I say this, but I have to give the fans overall an F. 
And the reason is still the fallout after on social media and saying, I'm done with this team or, you know, these are a bunch of clowns or calling out specific players and trashing them using, uh, you know, derogatory words uh, towards a specific player, you know, saying you're garbage, you're trash or your kids trash or things like that. That's where I have to give it an F. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand why people left on a Wednesday night in a lightning delay and went home. I understand that there's a lot of people that couldn't go because of work or because of kids. I mean, we were, we were lucky that we got to have someone watch our three kids. So both of us could go to the game, you know, it's a work night, but it was a school night. So I'm not going to bust on anybody for us only having 19,000 there on a Wednesday night in a rainy pregame. Um, but the F comes from when people are calling out specific players, man, everybody's going to have a bad game. There's going to be some people that have a string of bad games that doesn't make them garbage. They're college kids. Yeah. So here's the thing with me, right? I'll get angry because of some, I don't even say angry. I'll be disappointed because there's, you know, losses mounting and the season's not turning out the way that I wanted it to be. But if I were still living in Huntington, my ass would be in the stadium every Saturday. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. Like you're complaining because things aren't going the way you expected them to go. And that's one thing. Still go to the damn game. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's the whole other thing. It's like, so if you think, if your approach is, well, you know, if I just talk crap to this player, it'll make him want to play harder. What kind of thought process is that? Are you serious? Come on, man. Like, I understand that social media in the world we live in, everybody now has a voice and they also have a keyboard they can hide behind and they can be, you know, whatever persona they want to be. And, and (laughs) if you think that's the way that you should do it, well, then I I just don't know what to tell you. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, you think these guys practice their asses off every week to go out there and not have things go the way they had prepared for them to go? Every single one of those guys wants to win every Every single game. game. Every game. Not even every game. They want to win every snap. They want to win every block. They want to win every reception, every tackle, everything. They want to win that. That's what competitors do. And you setting up in section whatever row whatever, spouting off that toxic crap on social media isn't going to change anything except for make a guy go, why do I put up with this crap? Yeah. You know, why, 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 what? You know, so whatever you can be the, mad. I'm mad. I ask questions. I get angry and I, you know, you, you start to ask tough questions, right? Because things aren't going right. And you want to know why aren't they going right? And you start asking things that might be unpopular. And, you know, there's several types of fans out there and there, there's fans that are like, well, you know, whatever they're doing, you just have to be okay with. No, and I, don't, let, I don't believe that. Right? Let me, let me be clear too, not to you, but to, to everyone else. I am not condoning that we have to put up with, 68 yards of passing in a game 49 yards passing in a game no uh it's uncalled for and changes definitely need to to happen there are people that need to be accountable for this thing sure i'm just saying you know don't say well i'm done as a fan until this i'm i'm not going to give another dollar until this and i'm i'm you know this person's trash and that person's garbage and this person's a clown and man just all you got to do 
I mean, you you know what I've gone through, and I don't mean as a fan. I mean as a person. Sure. I got a lot more on my plate than a football game. Sure. And does that make me not want to win these football games? No, I want to win every single one of them by 800. <laughs> yeah. You know? I want to be able to say, bring on the 85 bears, Yeah, you know, and I, but I don't, after we win, go to another team that we win to their message board or to their Twitter and start yelling at that person and talking about how good, good I am because I didn't do a damn thing during that game to win it, <laughs> you know? So when we lose, you know, I also don't go on there and start spouting everything about, you know, I mean, we lost, it sucks, but all that's going to do is make me even more dejected because I'm going to be being so negative and everything. So I tend to just say, what can we do? But I'm still going to, I'm going to James Madison, man. We're, we're driving down that morning and staying all night. We're going to the James Madison game. I, I, I could sell those tickets on StubHub or whatever. They're going for a crazy amount. I landed because of the generosity of a herd fan that could no longer go to the game. I only paid face value for them. Could turn around and flip them. I'm not doing that just because we lost. I'm still going to support this team to an away game. Yeah. I'm not saying that makes me a super fan. I'm just saying, please come down off the ledge and don't act like this is the it's you know the worst thing ever because we lost a football game or we lost three out of four. It sucks, but let's not burn every bridge that we have and not come back. <laughs> right. I want to get into this research that you've done, right? But yeah. The point I was making is that there are several types of fan, it seems. And you have the ones that say, look, you're not allowed to complain in any form at all or else right. you're not or you're not a fan. Right. You, right. Have the, you have those guys. Yeah. Then you have those guys and gals that aren't happy no matter what is going on. Marshall yep. could be six and oh right now. And they'd be like, well, they're not scoring 70 and they should be. So yeah. this team's horrible, you know, yeah. and you have those people. And then by and large, you have those people in the middle, right. That hate it when you lose, they love it when you win, but you're still going to show up to the game. When things are going wrong, you're going to ask the questions like, man, is Russ Livingood really the choice for quarterback? Or maybe should it be? I'm not, by the way. The the backup guy. You know, and that doesn't make you a bad fan. It's not like you're saying Russ Livingood's a horrible person because he's not leading the country in pass yards. Right. Okay. It's like we're not getting something done that we need done. This guy may be a great person, but it's is he the answer? Is he the best option? There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're not going on social media and being hurtful. Yeah. And if let me you, log off. Just log off. And let me take it one short step closer and then we'll move on. Okay. But um, when I am talking about still supporting and don't walk away, we're talking about one football game and one football program. You've got softball. You've mm-hmm. got baseball, you've got volleyball, you've got tennis, you've got golf, you've got basketball, you've got soccer, you've got all this stuff and all these athletes and they still deserve you being a Marshall fan and for swearing off the big green over a football game. Maybe you're a football fan only, but again, we at the Thundercast are supporting Marshall athletics, not just Marshall football. And you're doing a lot of damage to some of these other people. If you're withholding money You know, if you want to say, well, I'm not going to give specifically to football and I'll give that money to one of these other uh, sports, 
fine, but don't look for a reason to to bail out on these other people that have nothing to do with the football program. Um, there's a lot of athletes here that we need to be supporting. And we talk about supporting the big green on this show all the time because that supports our athletes and our overall university and our programs. That's right. And they need it. They need it. They need it. The outcome of a football game doesn't change that they need it. That's right. So what about this research? <laughs> How about yeah, that? So, so here's what I did. Okay. And I'm going to put this on our Twitter, but I have to attribute the inspiration for this and talk about what he did. And I'm going to do that on Twitter as well. Uh, a lot of our uh, followers, no doubt, have followed over the years MU Thundering blog. He's a friend of ours and mm-hmm. uh, we've known him for a long time and he does a really good job of with his part on social media, with his coverage, he did a spray chart of the throws and he had started when I first saw it. Uh, it was the one that he had done for the first half. And I saw this the next day, not, not as it happened. Um, and then later he went and showed on a separate tweet, the full spray chart after the, the end of the game. And what he had done is he had passes that were zero to nine yards. And then underneath that, he had uh, negative yardage throwing behind the line of scrimmage. Then he had passes that went 10 to 19 yards. And then he had passes that were over 20 and then left and right. He had the middle was the, between the hashes just looks like a football field and then passes to the left of the hash or pass to the right of the hash. And he tried to put them as close as he could. And I did the same thing, tried to put them as close as you can, but it's not to scale and you're just doing the best you can, but you'll, you'll get the point when you guys see this visually either on his uh, tweet or later, what I have done. That's a little bit expanded on what he has done. You'll, you'll get the point on what we did. Let me get to some eye opening things here. First, I'm going to talk about both quarterbacks and then we're going to break down individually. KD, you didn't get to watch the game, nope. the full the full game. Would you be surprised if I told you that we had one, two, three, four, five, six passes that were to players behind the line of scrimmage? Nope. Forward, forward passes. Okay, I don't, I don't think that would surprise me, and I'm I'm not going to get into it, but it, it seems like that's the type of play we like to run this season. So, just for that reason alone, no, it's not surprising. Two of those were jet sweeps. Those are still a forward pass. It's mm-hmm. the same as a shovel pass would be a, a forward pass. It's still a pass. It's not a run. If you throw a pass backwards, as in a, that one at uh, Notre Dame, which was going to be a double pass and Keaton kept it and ran for 30 yards, that's a run because it was backwards. Uh, I know a lot of people get that. I'm just saying when you see these charts – we had a couple of those and they are still forward passes. We had two additional ones that went to exactly the line of scrimmage. Uh, zero to nine yards. Those two count as that. We had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, plus an additional one that was a no play because of a penalty. We had on the 10 to 19. One, two, three, four, five. Now, let me clarify again. These are not the end result. This is before yards after the catch. This is where the pass actually went. 
we had one, two, three, four, five, five attempts at even 10 yards, less than 20, 10 mm-hmm. yards during the entire football game. That's unacceptable. Over 20, we had one, two, three. All three of them were incomplete. One of them was a penalty, and it was a no play. So on the actual chart, you know, I've got those penalties down, but they don't count in your yards and your attempts. We were 0 for 2 with an interception. We cannot throw the ball downfield. Now, I here's exactly what I did. I didn't copy just what uh, MU Thundering Blog did. I color-coded these and said which ones were, uh, if they were green, they were a reception. If they were red, they were a missed pass. The one interception is not circled. It's got a square around it. But there's more. I broke it down by quarter. I did this as it was going. I had the benefit when I was watching to hit pause and knowing ahead of time which plays were going to be passes, both from memory of watching the game, but also having the play-by-play up on ESPN.com. First quarter, Columbia, by the way, played the first three quarters. It's a clean break. Fancher didn't play any play except for the fourth quarter. Columbia didn't play any play except for the first three. So that helps a lot with breaking it down. Columbia, I wrote down when it was uh, the, the situation, like the down and the yardage, where they were at on the field, both in yardage like, Say the first one uh, pass was a first and 10 from the Marshall 35, but it was the left hash. Mm -hmm. And that was important to me to know where they were at on the field when I was doing this. And then I would put where they threw and then the result. So in the first quarter, he had five attempts. He was four of five, you know, and a lot of what we had said early in the season is like, hey, he's a game manager. He's efficient. He had 16 yards in the first quarter on five attempts and four completions. Would you like to wager a guess of how many of those yards were through the air? I know you didn't get to, so you're going blind, but just throw out a number. (laughs) Negative two. Out of five attempts in the air, he had, and four receptions, he had negative two. So he was throwing behind the line of scrimmage so much that it was, negative two yards there was not much pressure there was one sack he missed an open receiver on that sack and it was not the offensive line that caused that well i i can't remember if that's the one i give i give the offensive line one sack maybe two sacks during that game the rest were on the quarterbacks and they had time to throw they didn't throw they had time to move out of the pocket, roll out. They didn't. The reaction, especially by Columbia, was to, and again, I'm not bashing. This is exactly what I saw. He had time, but his instinct was to put the ball down and become a runner, maybe to try to buy more time so he could throw, but most likely he was just trying to run forward. There are a lot of pass attempts that he did not get to have that, he turned into runs and a couple of them were first downs because he wanted to avoid the sack, but the pressure was not so abundant that he could not have gotten the ball away or thrown the ball away. Second quarter, he had another five attempts. He was four out of five for 58 yards. 
16 net in the air, 42 net yards after catch. Um, for the first half, he was eight out of 10 for 74 yards and negative two and 16 brought him up to 14 yards total through the air. And the rest of those came yards after catch still not much pressure. There was another sack in the second quarter. He missed a couple of receivers and he also had a bunch of tucks and runs like I was talking about. So the first half, he was eight out of 10 and you think that's efficient, but we're not throwing the ball downfield. Now I don't think that every single play, a lot of them, it was a quick hitter type thing. So that was the play. Mm-hmm. They they were calling for it to be that, but there were a lot that he just did not throw the ball downfield and it would be why well, I have to check down or I have to do that. So we're looking at a situation here. We've been hearing a lot about the offensive line and how bad it's been in pass protection and, the eye test is there that they've had some problems, but he has had, and the wide receivers or tight ends seem to have had situation where they're either not open or not open enough for him to throw the ball downfield. It's a combination of that. And I'm not saying the, the offensive line has been pristine, but the eye test and rewatching and pausing and looking, it's not like they did a bad job here. It seems to be that we're not comfortable throwing downfield and the coaches are calling the plays that they are because they know that. And you know what everyone says about insanity. Uh, The definition is to continue doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Well, if they are knowing that we can't throw the ball downfield, they're not calling for it downfield. So they're trying to play into what little bit of strength that we may have at that. Third quarter, this is after the, the hit at halftime, after the 37-minute rain delay. He comes out, he throws um, the first one. He was at the 48 of Louisiana. He throws 33 yards in the air into double coverage for an interception. The next time, he's on the Marshalls 39, two-yard pass. It was underthrown to Laburn and or Laburn didn't turn around in time, but still quarterback if that was a timing play, it looked like it was bad timing. Then he had a jet sweep. It's not even really a pass, but again, it counts as one. So in the third quarter, he only had three throws, two traditional throws, both incomplete, and then a jet sweep. And by the way, that jet sweep went for a three-yard loss. So he had... One for three, negative three yards and an interception in the third quarter. When they scored four times in a row, we could not do anything with the ball. Now, not all their scores were in that third quarter. Uh, they had that one touchdown in the uh, in the fourth. But they scored a touchdown and two field goals in three straight drives where we're throwing negative three yards and an interception. They were open all the time. There were times where you say, well, and again, this is hindsight, and I'm not a quarterback, but you say, well, he's right open right there. You know, we had set up a one in particular, a tight end screen for Devin Miller, and we had him and another person open, and it ended up being either a sack or he ran uh, for a couple of yards. But again, not throwing. It seems to be, and 
I could be wrong, but it seems to be that the mindset is it would be better to go eight for 10 than to go six for 10, but throw it into situations where it's unlikely that you get the the reception. I would much rather see us attacking more downfield. It seems there's either a lack of desire or a lack of talent to do so. Um, I don't want to beat up on him, um, but he's not the guy in this offense. Maybe if it was different scenario with, I don't know, but just right now it's not working. And we'll get into that a little bit more. Fancher in the fourth quarter, and I'm going to go through this a little bit quicker. Um, he went seven of nine. He uh, completed or had an incomplete pass on his second pass and his last pass. So otherwise he completed them all. His first pass, he threw 17 yards through the air. Oh, I have to go back one time to tell you a little bit about this. We had exactly one pass in between the hashes. One to the middle of the field. I know you didn't get to watch the whole game, but you would have had which one it was, though. Yeah. 42 yards to Corey Gamage. That oh, went... no, I didn't see that. I was oh. thinking it was the one that was, it was right on the hashes and it was to Charles Montgomery in like triple coverage. Yeah. You know? That that was Fancher, but yeah, I'm, I'm talking about Columbia. That's oh, what I was okay. talking about. Yeah. Columbia had uh, one pass and that was Fancher didn't have any, but we hit between the hashes. There were several that were on the hash. Right. But between the hashes in the true middle of the field, we had exactly one pass, and it was 14 yards through the air, gamage on a crossing route. He took it another 28 after the catch for a 42-yard gain. Our biggest play of the game was the only time that we threw over the middle. Mm -hmm. Everything else was to the other hash or our own hash on the side we were at. I mean, regardless of – what the factor is, whether it's, you know, we're not calling those plays or you can't execute those plays or whatever. Does it now start to, I mean, I know you get this, but does it now start to make sense of just how easy you're making it for a defense because you're taking oh, yeah. away yeah. so much of the, you don't have to defend the middle of the field if you're never going to attack it. So, so basically you just set on the out route, you set on the, on the boundaries and like, all right, well, we might give up a four yard catch and run. Okay. So, so I'm nobody. I'm Joe Fan, and I I did this chart. Yeah. What do you What do you think a defensive coordinator is doing with film? Yeah. What right. do you, What do, What do you think their analytics guys are doing with film to prep yeah. to give to these uh, position coaches and coordinators? We already knew that there was a problem, but when they're sitting here and seeing that when it's third down, all you have to do is blitz. We went one for eleven, and we we had a several times on third down was when we got sacked. We know it's coming. Yeah. You know, you show me somebody that, I mean, if they don't know anything about football, they might not get it. But if they even know a little bit, what's coming on third and 13, right. You know, what's coming on third and five. Yeah. They're going to force <laughs> that guy to make a throw. They're going to force yeah. that guy to make a quick read and a good throw Yeah, and hit a receiver. Yeah. So they like their odds. That's you're, why we keep seeing it. You're not going to get in a nickel and drop back in prevent defense wow. unless it's at the end of the game. You're That's going right. to be you're going to be blitzing. You're going to be stunning. You're going to be doing everything that you can. And we didn't pick it up from the quarterback because a lot of times, you know, I, I'm I'm not trying to talk about like I'm some offensive guru, but if that guy is blitzing, 
his spot is open on the field for a little bit of time, you Mm -hmm. know, throw where the blitz is coming from. Obviously they try to defend that and, and have things going different ways, but guys, we're not picking it up. We're not throwing the ball downfield and they know we're not going to. So that's where they can put eight in the box or they can do, you know, tight coverage. You don't have to, that takes away separation from the, the wide receivers and the tight ends from the defense because they don't have to play off the ball because they know that a a long pass is not coming. 17 yards in the air was the longest completed throw. 14 was the second longest. And wait, no, I'm sorry. We had, uh, we had one for 19. So 19, 17 and 14 in completions. And that was, uh, we were four out of five in that 10 to 19 range. Mm -hmm. So when we did throw it there, we had success, but we didn't throw it there. We threw all these at the line of scrimmage or zero to nine yards. And I don't think that that's on the coordinator a hundred percent. Some of it. Yes. But I feel like that there is a total lack of belief in the players to be able to make those passes. Um, Fancher went seven of nine. We talked about this in only one quarter. He led the team. I think yeah. it was- extrapolate that real quick. 69 yeah. over the course of four quarters. And that's a pretty good stat line. It's almost. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost 280. You know, and uh, um, obviously that's not how the game works. You don't just pick a quarter not. out, but um but if you've got a hot hand late in the game, if you've got a hot hand coming yeah. off the bench, cold, not in the rhythm of the game, and it's working for you, well, you would like to think that if you get a, you know a half to play or three quarters to play, and you've got that same hot hand, those numbers are going to look even better. I mean, now it, we were playing from behind, but Fancher, we said he had nine uh, throws. We had one, two, three throws. He was two for three when it went for longer than ten yards. And then he had that other one that was the penalty that I was telling you about. And he threw that one 22 yards in the air. Uh, then he had two for zero right at the line of scrimmage. Those were just little screens. And then he had uh, two that were in the zero to nine. And that's it. He didn't throw any behind the line of scrimmage. Columbia was six for six behind the line of scrimmage. And <laughs> Here's the breakdown on these. I didn't do them for uh, for Fancher and he's one quarter because it was just one quarter. But uh, here's the breakdown. Behind the line of scrimmage, Columbia went six for six for 15 yards. That's not getting it done. It's not – so why keep doing it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not resulting in big plays. It would be one thing if we said, hey, he was six for six and he had 81 yards from these ones behind the line, but they're not getting the yardage. So it's a waste of time. Zero to nine yards, he was one for three for two yards. 10 to 19, he was two for three for 54. 42 of those came on the over the middle play that we talked about. 20 plus, he was zero for one with an interception. We cannot throw the ball downfield. Yeah. Short and sweet. Yeah. Uh, And these are the hard, this is the data that starts to support these hard questions that some folks don't want to hear. Yeah. You know, and it, it it has nothing at all to do about picking on a kid, right? It has to do with like, look, man, 
it's not being done. And it's either, and, and it's not just his fault, right? It's not because we're still, call, he's not calling his own plays, right. right? So those plays are still being called and and you alluded to it. Why are they being called? Is there a lack of confidence that the downfield throws will be made? Is there a lack of confidence that our receivers will get ample separation to make that play? Or would you rather just roll the dice and say, look, let's do a short pass. Maybe Talit can make a move and get eight yards for us. Yeah. You know, uh, but any way you look at it, Marshall's passing offense is uh, anemic is the best word you can use, you know, because yeah. it's just non-existent. I did. I was going to add up the pass totals for the past couple of games and I just forgot to, but I know somewhere in there was 49 yards and there was now 68, 69 yards. I mean, you do the math. There are guys that are eclipsing that in a half, you know, yeah. so I'm on one play. You you have, you know, 150 yards or whatever, 110 yards over the course of two games or whatever the number is. And that ain't, it ain't going to get done. It doesn't matter how great your running game is. You're just not going to get it done, man. Unless Labron's coming out and rushing for 350 yards a game, 69 yards of passing, 68 yards of passing, no touchdowns, an interception, a couple sacks here and there. That's just not going to do it for you. And that's what we're seeing in real time. Marshall's yeah. now 500 ball club for it. Yep. So look, any way you want to slice it, I say that every game, any way you want to, or in every episode, any way you want to slice it, Marshall got beat again. Yep. We don't make excuses, right? There are plays right. we can point at and go, look, that changed the way this went, that changed the way that went, but we don't make excuses. Marshall's lost. Again, they're yet to win a Sunbelt Conference game. Uh, what come in coming into the season, there was a lot of hype around them being able to compete for the East, and they still could, but they're going to have to get it amazingly right, amazingly fast. Got another 10-day prep period before you go to James Madison, who's fresh off a loss, and don't you think they'll be good and pissed off when you go up to their house for homecoming? So... Uh, I fully intend to get their A game uh, in a revenge game, just being ranked for one week and now dropping out of the top 25, I'm sure. So you don't, you're not going to get any free passes there. So you better be ready. Or you're just going to be now a below 500 team. But look, we at the quarter post of the season, we did a mailbag, right? And we didn't do one this week, and instead – at the halfway point of the regular season, we decided we'll just formulate some questions for ourselves. And you can ask a couple and I'll ask a couple and that's just what we'll do with it. And then we'll go around the herd and we'll get out of here. So um, I had a lot of the, a lot of the things that uh, I had prepared based around the passing game. And I had, like I said, I didn't know you had these, deep dive stats so some of these questions i'm still going to ask because the numbers behind them are still pretty relevant and it just drives home some of the facts that you were saying okay um but we're going to start with the offensive line and at least my first question to you is about the offensive line um you've provided some credence as to why things are starting to appear the way they are but i still think now that there is a little bit of a hangover let's call it a hangover you know, because there are difference in philosophy for, from former offensive line coach to the current offensive line coach. And the play just has not been the same. You know, even though the guys under center are the same, the running back still having the same mark success. It's just not the, 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 the look, the cohesion is not the same. So do you attribute a fair amount of that loss of the cohesion of that unit now several weeks removed from Eddie Morrissey's departure do you do you attribute that to the some of the deterioration of this offensive line? Some, yes. I don't. Uh, I don't think that it's uh, well. One, let me say right off the bat, 
we've talked about this in the DJ Hunter episode mm-hmm. that we had with the mailbag. Right. For everyone, and please don't include me in a in a petition to have Bill Leg fired. One, I I don't think that that's how those work. Uh, <laughs> I know that's not how those work. But but two, um, it's not like. I think there's some revisionist history about, you know, his ability as an offensive line coach. And we've covered that in previous episodes. The guy has been a part of some prolific things. It's not like we had, a, you know, a, this amazing run and gun offense putting up as many yards as we want. And then all of a sudden it fell apart and we've been getting 40 yards through the air because Bill Legs, our offensive line coach now. His first game as offensive line coach for us after Morrissey departed, Columbia threw for 338 yards. So what are, what are we saying? You know, mm-hmm. we can't cherry pick stats. Uh, we had horrible time down at Troy, uh, and we had a horrible time in this past game here. We have not had a good passing game, including at, and I mean longer, deeper throws, including at Notre Dame. We lucked out on two shorter throws that had a lot of yards after catch at Bowling Green that padded those stats. Yeah. Uh, And that was the first two touchdowns. One was 77 and one was 58, maybe. Yeah, like 130 yards passing on two two passes. So we've had this problem, and the offensive line has had some problems all year. I don't think that they had a single problem against uh, Norfolk State. But it's Norfolk State. Right. Um, I think that there was a little bit of a problem while Morrissey was still here at Notre Dame. But again, I like the matchup and I like the game plan that we had. I that's why I picked us to win, you know. Um well, of course, also account that the defense played absolutely lights out in yeah. that game. So if they don't play lights out, you know, maybe some of those problems are a little bit more apparent. But the reason I asked that question is now we're further into the season, right? And you would like to think even some of the differences in philosophy will have begun to evaporate you know, and you don't have to relearn how to run block. You don't relearn how to pass block. You're a division one offensive lineman, right? And some of these problems have, have continued. So it's, it's worth asking, you know, it's, it's not a setup question. It, it's just one that I wanted an observation for. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that there's a little bit of problem, but it's not, the problem. Um, I just think that no matter what, losing your position coach in um in the middle of a season like that, there's going to be a shakeup. Yeah, there, there's there's going to be uh, a bit of a, a you know, hey, what's going to happen next? What's uh, what are we going to do here? I mean, there's got to be something like that. So. Man, if I had to give it a percentage, I'd say 33% that it's affected this. Mm-hmm. And is that significant? Yeah. But I think that it's uh, it was apparent to me that it wasn't an offensive line problem that we threw horribly in this last game. It, it was a combination of they're playing bump and run on the receivers because they don't they know they don't have to respect the long pass. The play calling is going there because they don't have confidence in throwing the long pass, and the quarterback is not going to throw the long pass. Everything shakes out to be, hey, 
you know, but when you got three seconds to throw, you need to throw. Right. You can't can't be getting sacked on four and five second uh after you're already in shotgun, you got three seconds to throw. Not the offensive line hundred percent, like everyone's thinking online. No, I'm I'm not I'm not saying that. I, was, I know you I was kind of looking for a, a percentage, just like you just gave me. Yeah. What what you think is is the effect the number, the percentage that that affects the, the circumstance we find ourselves in currently. Yeah. All right. So um my question for you is what do you think is the problem with the offense or the entire team in general? Well, there, I, there's no problem with the entire team. Okay. Uh, I think we've identified the two biggest problems. The, the biggest problem to me for the defense is that the offense isn't playing continual complimentary football to give them ample opportunity to make the plays that they're already making so that they have a greater impact on the game. You know, if, if Marshall's, playing in games to where they're playing with the lead or they're not playing constantly from behind, even tied, you know, then the plays that these defense are that this defense is making get amplified a little bit and, and they go a little bit further into helping the offense. If you know that you're you're going to get the ball back for your offense and be able to set over on the sidelines and rest because they're going to go on a five minute sustained drive, six minute sustained drive, then it helps. Right, it just, obviously helps, and the defense is playing so fast and so effective, in spite of a lot of that. That I just don't see any problem there. You know, there's always going to be penalties on defense. There's always going to be uh, plays that slip through your fingers, and there's going to be missed tackles. So I don't see a problem there. I think the biggest problem uh, with this team is on the offensive side of the ball, and it's the sheer inability to effectively pass and consistently pass and find those voids in the defense and just make it happen. It seems like everybody we play that is um, has somewhat somewhat of a passing game can do that, but we cannot. And that, to me, is the, uh, the biggest glaring problem on the team. Yeah. Uh, if you can pass the ball down the field, if you can account for uh, mismatches in the receiving game, utilizing the tight ends, it just makes it easier for Labron to get big runs. It makes it easier for him to move the chains for you. It's less abuse that he's taking on his body, so you would like to think that his sustainability for a season goes up. So that's the biggest problem. That's without a doubt the biggest problem is the Mar the Marshall ineffective anemic pass game. All right. Number two. Uh, oh, I was about to read – Something else. Uh, number two. So what is the quickest fix for this Marshall passing game? Uh, let me give you some rankings, national rankings, right? Individual national rankings. Uh, Henry Columbia QB one for the majority lion's share of the season. All, all QB one for all of us. Let's just say he's played the most. I didn't mean to say QB one because he started every game. Ranks currently 105th in the country in passing with 943 yards. His six touchdowns through the air are good for 96th in the country. His four interceptions are tied for 56, and his 24.6 QBR is tied for 123rd in the country. Or not tied for, just is 123rd. Cam Fancher uh, is 173rd in the country with just 190 passing yards, and his one pass touchdown through the air is 169th uh the team averages of 188.8 passing yards per game and has allowed has been sacked 24 times through six games which is of course six per game 20 of those uh four per had, game 
That's what I meant, four per game, which has happened. 20 of those have happened to Henry Columbia. Four have happened to Cam Fancher. Our leading receiver, Corey Gamage, 23 catches, leads the team, is good for 182nd in the country in receptions. He's our number one receiver. 254 yards also leads the team, is good for 263rd in the country. And his three receiving touchdowns rank him 107th in the country. He does have a long of 51 yards, which you alluded to earlier against Bowling Green. It just tied for the 216th longest reception in the country. Uh, flat out, we can't get it done through the air. Are, are those stats bad? Well, I mean, I don't know because, you know, they're not great. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So what is the quickest fix for the passing game? Is it to reassign play calling duties? Is it to switch it up here? Is it to try something else there? It, what is the single quickest fix for the passing game in your eyes? Well, let me tell you first that after having said all of that, mm -hmm. Henry Columbia in rankings is still third nationally in completion percentage. True. A lot of that came from that 92.6% or whatever it is when you're 24 out of 26 in that first game. Uh, that doesn't change. I was just, I was expecting that to be thrown in there, but that doesn't change my answer whatsoever. I just want to be clear that throwing for third best completion percentage in the country doesn't cut it when you're only throwing for five yards per attempt. Um, on average or whatever it is now. I know that it was seven-something coming into that game, and I know it went downhill pretty pretty good. Um, the quickest thing is change quarterbacks. You put Fancher in, and you let him run with it, and you put somebody else in as the backup. Maybe Columbia, maybe somebody else. I don't know to that degree, but – Moving forward, Fancher has to be the starter, in my opinion. Um, he's more elusive. Uh, he's Yeah, he's thrown for less, but he's got four sacks against while Columbia has 20. I know that he's been, you know, in less, but he's just not going to be taking as many sacks. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he seems to still have his head up instead of immediately – and, and you would think, you know, uh, the way he runs, that he would be quicker because he has an opportunity to run and break it for 20 yards a lot faster than uh, Columbia. You would think that his instinct would be to tuck and run, but it doesn't seem to be. He seems to be, well, let's look and see. Let's see where I can throw it to. Where's my progressions going? I'm not saying that he's the second coming and that all of a sudden we're going to have 500 yards passing a game. He's going to be like Byron and sit back there and pick defenses apart. I still don't think we're going to have this amazing turnaround on the passing game instantly, but that is my number one quickest fix is put him in because we at least won't be throwing six times behind the line of scrimmage in three quarters for 15 yards and we won't be immediately tucking and running or tucking and taking a sack instead of just getting out of the pocket and throwing the ball away. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there, it, it seems counterproductive to me to try to be leading the nation in completion percentage when you're 
in the hundreds and whatever in every single other stat. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's, that's my answer. It's not pretty, but that's an answer. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. So my question is very, very similar. Who is your starting quarterback moving forward? And I say this, I say, I say my starting quarterback for James Madison, at least James Madison is Cam Fancher because mm-hmm. the season is now half over. And this is not like a knee jerk reaction to where we've seen one bad game and we're ready to pull the plug. Right. It's not that at all. It's, it's been, you know, several weeks of subpar play. And in particularly it's been ineffective play against conference opponents. That's the ones you got to have. I mean, it's one thing to go out and light up Norfolk State in a game that doesn't really matter. It's a home opener, and you're basically putting on a dress rehearsal for the home crowd to get fired up because the football season started. You know, and I'm never going to take away the game at Notre Dame because for history, forever, Henry Columbia will have won the game against Notre Dame. That that he's starting quarterback when that happened. That's that's his game. But you you got uh, you were totally ineffective against Troy. And seemingly ineffective based on those stats and a game that I, I can't fully, you know, I, I trust what you're saying, but it's, it's, I'm just, I have to trust it because I didn't get to watch it. Right. Yeah. But I still trust it, what you're saying. It's, and that's against a conference opponent too, 68 yards of passing. So 117 yards against two conference opponents that you can't do that. You, you can't do that. Uh, 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 scooping a score allowed against Troy, uh, interception against Louisiana. I mean, these are the games you have to have. I really don't care, honestly, if you can go out and whoop the snot out of Garner Webb. That doesn't, it's nice to get a win, but what does that do for you in the conference standings? What does that do for you in the, in the, uh, you know, trying to be bowl eligible? Plus, on top of that, Cam's play, if you'll remember, going back to the spring ball coming into the season, it was right down to the wire. Columbia, or Fancher. They're so close. We have to make a call. And the coaching staff decided to go with Henry Columbia because he's an upperclassman. He's been there and done that and thought that the senior leadership would give him a little bit of an extra edge. He'd been in all these situations before. And so you give the man the nod, right? Well, if Cam was right there at week one, going into week one, and we've just seen lackluster play kind of every week since Notre Dame, and Cam has come in and provided sparks, then why not give him an opportunity to do just like what we saw with Louisiana? Granted, this is by way of injury, but Wolveridge comes in and has his first start and plays great because he knows he's the guy from the get-go. So let's see if Cam has that same opportunity and can do that same kind of thing and knowing, hey, I'm going to get week one, I'm going to get, not week one, uh, uh, First string reps all week long. I'm going to prepare. I'm the guy. This is my show. I'm going to do this. We'll see how that translates for him if he's named the starter and gets to play against James Madison. So for me, moving forward now, um, Cam Fancher's my guy. And in a few weeks, if we want to revisit this question, not necessarily this way, but if Marshall happens to drop another couple of games and it cannot be bowl eligible, ask me that question again, and maybe we'll see what we should do for the remainder of the season because we know Columbia's a one-year guy. Like, he's here and gone. So do you say, all right, well, it's over for 2022. 
you know, it's time to start planning and seeing who's going to be able to separate themselves for 2023. Yeah. So we'll talk about that maybe in a few weeks. Let's hope sure. that we don't have to talk about it. Let's hope yeah. that Marshall goes on a big run. But uh, Cam Fancher's my starting quarterback for James Madison if I'm making the call. All right. Interesting that you brought one of these things up because it's the question I have for you next. Do you see this team being bowl eligible this year? I don't know, man. I don't know. If we're playing the way we're playing now, if that continues, no. No. How can you? You you haven't beaten anyone outside of two FCS teams and Notre Dame. You know? Well, uh, and for those that don't know, I know that you know, but mm-hmm. you have to have six wins um, to be bowl eligible. And you play 12, so that's usually six and six. However, only one FCS win counts. So you either have to go seven and five, or if you happen to lose to an FCS team, you know, it's, it's the same six and six, but you have to have, you have to have five FBS wins and six overall wins. We've already beaten the FCS teams twice. (laughs) So we have now three wins. We're three and three. We have to finish seven and five to be bowl eligible. We have to go four and two. Yep. We we talked about this schedule. Let's look at it. I mean, you know. The wins are going to start getting really, really tough. I mean, James Madison is is a monstrous team. We didn't think they would be this good in the preseason. And now here they are. They were a top 25 team just this past weekend. And they're going to be angry. It's their homecoming. I don't know that Marshall is going to be able to go up there and weather that storm and and slow them down. You know, they're going to want to prove that Marshall, for whatever we are um, categorizing ourselves as, a lot of the other Sunbelt teams are looking at us as one of those teams that, like, look, if we can beat Marshall, then we can prove we belong here. Whatever that means, right? Because we're this – I don't know. We're a name team. We're a good brand. Like people know Marshall, I guess, but it seems like it's one of those, one of those type things. And I'm not trying to pat us on the back. It's just like, for some reason, people are like, we're better. We're better than Marshall. If we could beat them, then that means something. It's cool. I'm glad it's that way. So then you, you look at app state at the Joan, they're struggling too. So who knows what they'll look like. That might be a good, Excellent way to get a get a win on 75 week. You can throw those games kind of out the window most of the time because it's 75 week. Who knows what the herd's going to look like? They could be uh, struggling like crazy and then come in and play like a Super Bowl caliber team. You know, it's just 75 week. You got Coastal at home for um, homecoming, fresh off the hill. And granted, it'll be a few weeks from now, but fresh off the heels of a of their undefeated season getting ground to a halt. Uh, they still have a great quarterback, and anytime you've got a great quarterback, you've got a chance to win. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Georgia Southern is the team that uh, puts together this great win over James Madison and five hundred and seventy-eight right. Van Treese is just tearing it up down there. Um, and then Georgia State is the team that, if you got to look at them all, you're thinking, okay, Georgia State's probably the best option to get a win. Well, that's one. You need four. You know, the only team we haven't talked about is Old Dominion, and they just beat Coastal Carolina and almost hung 50 on them at their place in Conway. So I don't know that there's enough wins to go four and two. I really don't. It's tough. It's tough. I'm not I'm not uh, selling this season away, but my nine and three prediction is is ancient history now. Yeah. Even though there's not four in the loss column, nine and three, there is no way that I see Marshall running the table from here on out. Um, 
it it sucks to feel that way six weeks into the season, but we're not playing good enough to win games, tight games right now. We're we're one dimensional offense and a defense that's playing their asses off that can't seemingly do enough every game to offset the lack of complimentary football. So I would be surprised if Marshall goes four and two down the stretch. Uh, I have one more for you, and let let let's let's just ask the question, okay? Six and six or six and six, three and three on the season, zero and two in the Sun Belt Conference. We're halfway through the season. We got six six games left to go in the regular season. We have yet to see Rasheen Ali on the field. Um, he's already a red shirt sophomore, so you don't have a red shirt year to burn. So. A, what is the likelihood that you see Rasheen Ali uh, to play a potential six-game season and burn a year of eligibility? Uh, Or B, do you see the possibility of a medical redshirt being utilized and getting a full complement of games for 2023? What do you think? I'm trying to think if I could give a percentage. Um, You know where I was at a couple of weeks ago that Me too. he he was coming back. It would have been the great time at Gardner Webb to bring him back. And then you've yep. got the, we've talked about it on several different podcasts, several different other places where people have asked us, you know, when we've been on other podcasts and such, you, you play, then you got 11 games and then you play and then you've got, uh, you've got 11 days and then you play and then you got 10 days and that would have been a great time bringing back. And the first one is against Gardner Webb. Then the rain forecast made me think no way, no way do you put him out there trying to shake off the rust in that situation. Then I said, well, yeah, well got to bring him back against, I mean, Man, as they were coming out of the tunnel, I was looking for him when I was I in the stands. I think everybody was. And I was like, all right, where's 22? And I kept thinking, like, what a way for a Wednesday night ESPN2 game for him to be the first person to come out of the tunnel and just walk out in that black uniform. And I thought, man, this place would go crazy. There might even be phone calls going on where people come that, you know, walk up to Will Call and get a ticket, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he wasn't there. And I was just like, well, he ain't playing. I do still think that he comes back because I don't think that he would be here full for four full years of eligibility uh, to play. I don't think that he would be here anyway. I think that he would go try his shot at the pros before then. Uh, but so I don't, I don't necessarily think – I think that even if he played three games, he wouldn't care about it, uh, which, by the way, you can still get a medical red shirt, you know. Um, yeah. You can still it's, apply for it. I don't know what it is. I think – I thought it used to – well, is it a number of games now? Because I remember it used to be like a percentage of the plays. No, it's it's four games. Okay. So, so you can play four games, and that's why, you know, our conversation could be different in a couple of weeks about what sure. we do at quarterback, you know, cause sure. they, they can play and still red shirt, but, um, that that's, I'm, I'm at the, yes, I still expect him, but I went from being, he'll be back this week, or if not, he'll be back next week to now, man, he might play for the last two games of the season. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't know when it'll be. I think, I think that this, 
week in practice could make a, a big difference because there's 10 days since the last game mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it could be some difference, but I, right now I'd only put it at 25% or even lower that he plays against James Madison. And before I would have bet my house, he'd been back for that. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I don't bet anymore. Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? So let's say you do have, we don't have to say that you got 10 days to prepare. That's a fact that's happening. So let's say that the coaching staff comes in tomorrow and they say, or if they haven't, maybe they've already done it, you know, because it was a Wednesday game. Maybe they say, hey, we're going with Fancher, you know, and now we really look and go, hey, Fancher's first start could have Labor and Ali. And I know it's us being, you know, like, are we creating headlines? No, but it's, it's a possibility. Right. right. It's, it's, I mean, like what, what a different, completely different animal for a good James Madison team that, uh, I mean, I think they were number one, they had the number one rushing defense in the country. I don't know if they still do, but they did. They were only allowed like 41 yards a game. Well, uh, late in that game, man, they had still only given up like 13 yards. It yeah. was all, it was all in the air. Now their total defense and pass defense went, through the floor, but their rushing defense, I haven't looked, but they yeah. still should lead the nation. And I think that it went down. So look at that, right? That's a different animal that nobody's had to prepare for. And I know we keep talking about it like it's a secret weapon, but what if it is? You yeah. know, what what if it is? So it's just something to keep an eye on. I don't know. As the games tick away, you know, you start to get more concerned, like, oh man, he may not play at all. Oh man, it's just what's going to happen here. And oh man, this, that, and we hate to be those doomsday scenarios. And it's just, it's just curious to me. It's very curious to me. I hope we see him back. I think if we don't see him at James Madison, then you start to really ask that question because your next game would be homecoming. And then, um, I don't know, man. I don't know. We shall see, but look, that was a lengthy, (laughs) lengthy deep dive into uh louisiana and the post statistical breakdown i had some so, some sunbelt uh transfer portal incoming transfer portal quarterback stats just for this year that came in to compare to how everybody else is doing there are four other guys that uh brought in four other teams that brought in quarterbacks that are starting uh, in the sunbelt and just this year and pff, it's it is not of the four the fourth guy is tied for 35th in the country in passing. Yeah. That's how well everybody else is doing in those categories. It's it's kind of amazing. Uh, Van Trees, who we mentioned before, is number two in the country in passing yards. Came from Buffalo. Kid we played a couple of years ago in that bowl game. Uh, let's take this bad boy around the horn or around the herd and try to get the heck out of here. This is a massive episode tonight. Yeah, so let's start with men's soccer, and uh, we'll we'll try to go through them kind of quick, but uh, – Milo Yosef scored two goals as the herd beat South Carolina three to one way back on October the 8th. We haven't done a, an around the herd since then. Mm-hmm. They That moved him into number fourth in the nation on Tuesday when the rankings came out. Then just yesterday, two days ago, if you're listening on Monday, they lost to Old Dominion at home two to one. Uh, Gabriel Alves had the lone goal for Marshall. What a goal it was from about 30 yards out. Or um, he uh, uh, kicked a screamer that Jake Griffin uh, had a great call on that I tagged him on social media. But 
that drops them to seven, two and two overall and two, one and two in the conference. So bummer of a, of a weekend for that. Yeah. Hell they of a play... good way to be a monarch though. How about the yeah, Christmas? They <laughs> beat know, coastal man. and then beat the herd freaking old dominion. What the hell? The, the play, uh, they play Wednesday at, uh, Georgia state and that's at 7 PM. Cool. Women's soccer, they lost two to nothing to Georgia Southern on 10 to six at home. Uh, lost one to nothing at Georgia State on 10 to nine. So continuing the, the problems. And then I don't know if you know this or not, but James Madison came in and they had not allowed a goal in 600 minutes. Jeez. <laughs> And I mean, you know, they're they're just killing everybody. Yeah. And then we drew them one to one. Kay Gonzalez got a got a goal, and that was a draw. And I mean, going out of like, you know, didn't score the two previous games, and then you score on JMU. So some at least some uplifting news for that program, man. They've been uh, struggling a bit. To uh, seems like uh, just a a play here or there or whatever could dr- drastically change their season. But now they are two, eight and four overall one, four and two in the Sun Belt, And then they travel to coastal on October the 20th. Swimming and diving. Uh, Marshall finished second overall at the West Virginia games. That was all West Virginia colleges and universities. And that was up at Morgantown. And that was on 10, 14 and 10, 15. Amongst the finishes, the herd had six different top three performances. Paige Banton was second in the 200-meter breaststroke. Jenna Bopp was nearly a photo finish tie with her to place third. Easter, um, we no longer have on uh, herd zone to yeah. hear them say, so I'm going to say Laban, Easter Laban. Uh, please reach out to us and let us know uh, how bad I botched that. Um <laughs> She was second in the 500-meter freestyle. Madeline Hart was third in the 100-meter butterfly. And the trio of Hart, Clava Katayama, and Claire Kinney came in second in the 200-meter freestyle relay. And last but not least, Kaylee Payne came in third in the 1-meter diving competition. But second overall, man, pretty good start to the year. That's a pretty good start to the year. Their next meet meet won't be until November, so... Okay. Is that uh, it on your portion? I have one more. Okay. Uh, and it's just that tennis, uh, the women's ITA Atlantic Regional is 1020 and 1021 at Virginia Tech. Cool. Uh, I've got golf, volleyball, and, and cross country here to round out around the herd. Uh, men's golf, will, there was a tournament. I, I had it, I wrote it down, but there's no results for it on Herd Zone. So I couldn't tell you how they did. So I just skipped ahead to what's coming up. Uh, Men's Golf's got the Dayton Flyer Invitational on October 17th and 18th in Dayton, Ohio. It's the final tournament of the fall season. They'll pick back up again in February. And then Women's Golf will be playing in the Pirate Collegiate Classic at East Carolina University on – oh, that's what it was. was. The Pirate Collegiate Classic had no results. That was on 10-10 and 10-11. Their next uh, Women's Golf tournament is the Charlotte Invitational down in Charlotte, North Carolina on October 24th and 25th. That is their – final tournament of the fall and they too will pick back up in february the volleyball team 
uh, has hit the struggle bus lately a little bit. They're seven and thirteen on the season, just one and seven in Sunbelt Conference play, and they've lost four straight games. They lost to Troy. Uh, three games to one on 10-6 and three games to none on, or I'm sorry, yeah, three games to none on 10-7. Then Georgia Southern, three games to none on 10-14 and three games to none on 10-15. Next, the women's volleyball team has Appalachian State on October 21st and 22nd down in Boone. You can catch that on ESPN+. And the cross-country team. Women finished third out of 13 total teams. The men, four out of nine total teams. At the Falcon Invitational in Bowling Green, Ohio, on October 14th. Next up for the cross country team, it's this it, man. It's the Sunbelt Championships on October 29th in Foley, Alabama. That's it for Around the Herd this week. Russ, let's end this massively epic episode. Give me some final words if you got any. And otherwise, take us the heck out of here. Huge shout out to our sponsors who continue to be awesome. Uh, 304carwreck.com. If you're ever unfortunate uh, to find yourself into a car accident, please give those guys a call and let them do the heavy lifting for you instead of trying to navigate it yourself. Insurance adjusters are paid to lowball you, and these guys are trained to get you what you deserve. Uh, what you're entitled to. So please give them a call. Also, Ignite Link always takes care of us, uh, helps us out with uh, five things, everything, every herd fan needs to know this week, but also the uh, tailgates Thundercast Live that we do each and every week. Yep. I'd you- like to say special thanks to Jed Horton for stepping in for me this week at Thundercast Live. Uh, I could not take part in any of the festivities because of my work schedule. So thanks Jed for being KD for the week. Also big shout out to Boyd cat and Russ living good for sponsoring the tailgate. We appreciate that. I'm glad it was an awesome turnout. It's nice to know that, like I said, more and more fans are coming over and feeling welcomed uh, to drop by the Thundercast tailgate. You should, that's what we're there for to hang out yep. and provide a cool spot for herd fans to talk and uh, you know, mix it up a little bit with each other, get to know one another and talk about how great we are in the process. Right. Yep. Um, Russ, it's, it was, it was a tiring week. It was a busy week. Let's see. Uh, we'll come back here in a few days or so, and we'll give everybody that James Madison preview. So until then, take us out of here. Yeah. So just like every week, uh, whether you see us at the cam, whether you see us at the Joan in the rain, whether you see us at Thundercast Live in the rain, which seems like they're all going to be now, no matter where you see us, we're going to be saying, Go Herd. Go Herd. It's the Thundercast. We'll see you in a couple days. Later. <laughs>